Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson, and his wife, Carlotta, and daughter, Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. The title of my lesson today for the week of Father's Day is this, Are Fathers Really Necessary? Well, my 35-year-old unmarried patient came into my office and notified me that she was planning on getting pregnant. So I asked her, are you planning to get married? And she answered emphatically, no. I then asked, don't you need a husband? And emphatically, she said, no. Well, I knew her for several years, and I knew that most of the men in her life had been renegades, outlaws of low character. They had assumed no responsibility in their relationship with her, taking from her but offering nothing of substance in return. These men had defrauded her when they pretended to offer real love but gave an empty counterfeit instead. She didn't want a man like that in her life, nor did she want a man like that to be the father of her children. And since her biological clock was ticking away at her age, she decided to take matters into her own hands. She didn't need or want a husband or father, or so she believed. She just needed a seed donor so she could achieve a pregnancy and get on with her ill-conceived plan of motherhood in the absence of a father. So I ask you again, are fathers really necessary? Well, I submit that fathers are necessary first to serve as role models. Well, when I was first in my residency, I had a mom and a grandmother come into my office and they brought with them four children, three girls and a little boy. Everybody was dressed up as if they were going to church. They were dressed up just beautifully. All the little girls were dressed in pretty dresses, and to my surprise, the youngest, who was a little boy, was also dressed in a pretty frilly dress. He had on little shiny patent leather shoes and little bobby socks. His hair was plaited, and he even had ribbons in his hair. All the older sisters had a little bit of makeup on, and so did this little boy. The little girls danced and pirouetted, and they swirled around to make their dresses swirl, and so did this little boy. Well, I didn't say anything. Two of the older girls were there for an annual physical, which we completed, and then when we finished, the mother looked at me, pointed at that youngest child, the little boy, and she said, why do he act like that? And rather than answering the question directly, I looked at her and said, where is his father? And she said, he's not around. He's no good. I then looked at the grandmother and I said, where is his grandfather? And she answered me in the exact same way. And she said, he's not around. He's no good. And I looked at the mother and I said, do you, does he have any uncles? The mother and grandmother looked at each other, and they both shook their head in the negative. And I looked at her, and I said, Ma'am, he acts like that because the only influence in his life are women. 
sisters, a mother, a grandmother. He needs a man in his life. And I said, if you want him to grow up acting like a a little boy should act and eventually like a man should act, you need to find yourself a good husband. And I said, if you can't do that, then you need to take him to the nearest church and you need to pray that God will find a godly man in that church that will take this little boy under his wings and mentor him and teach him how to act like a man. When I said that, the grandmother looked at her daughter and said, that's exactly what I've been saying to her all along. She needs to find a good husband. Then the daughter looks at me and she says, how am I going to do that? And I looked at her and said, ma'am, I don't really know, but I promise you that if you will pray every day that God would bring a good man into your life, I believe God will answer your prayer because God knows even more than you do that these children need a godly man in your house and you need a godly husband. She looked at me and she just had big sad eyes and a desperate look in her face. Well, that's not the end of that story. That happened in the second year of my residency. In the third year of my residency, That family came back to see me once again, and that woman had with her a big, strong, strapping man who had expressed to her his desire not just to marry her, but to adopt all of those children. He came with her to the office visit, and it was very obvious that the two of them were deeply in love, and they were making goo-goo eyes at each other right there in my office. Those children were fascinated with him. And that little boy was not dressed like a little girl. He had on blue jeans. He had on a a Ninja Turtle t-shirt and little tennis shoes. And he was crawling all over that big, strong man. And the two of them were wrestling. There's no more dancing and pirouetting. He was wrestling and fighting. He wanted to wrestle his little girl sisters to the floor. And that big man had to keep corralling him. He was all boy, no more of the little girl in him. He was, a, he was growing up to be a man. And it was all because of the influence of this big, strong man who wasn't even his father yet, but who had expressed his intention to be a father to that family. I submit to you that fathers are necessary to serve as role models. Proverbs 17, 6 says, Grandchildren are the crown of old men, and the glory of sons is their father. Do you get that? The glory of sons is their father. Glory, the word there is thephora, T-H-E-P-H-O-R-A, thephora. It refers to the art of boasting. You've seen little boys boast about their fathers. Fathers are to sons a source of wonderment and delight. In other words, a reason for boasting. A father is a champion to his son, and a son feels like a champion in the presence of his father. This admiration is innate, and it's not learned. Sons have an inherent desire to boast in their father's. 
Every dad begins fatherhood clothed in garments of praise. He possesses an authority that is inexplicable and awesome. To believe that their dad is the smartest, the strongest, and the toughest must be an inborn error of genetics. There must be a mutation in there somewhere, or maybe God just intended it to be that way. A father's physical and emotional presence gives a masculine mooring, a masculine foundation to a young boy. It invests a young boy with a large dose of male energy, vitality, and identity. It grants to him emotional capital that can't be gained anywhere else except in the presence of his own father. Their daughters are invested with security and the feeling of protection. Their home is a refuge and a safe haven when their father is present. They become well-established in their feminine identity because of the presence of a father. This investment becomes even more substantial when a father imparts not only emotional capital, but also moral and spiritual capital. The son and daughter lashes their soul to masculine moorings and are weighted down with a masculine anchor that gives them stability in the turbulent seas of life. This explains why sons and daughters drift in the absence of a father. Instead of being securely anchored to a solid foundation, they become weightless and begin to drift away. The constant refrain is heard, my dad wasn't there for me. Their hero never showed up. Their glory turned to pain. Who does the fatherless young boy boast about and look up to for a role model? Who do the fatherless daughters turn to in difficult times? What is the exact social consequence of fatherlessness? There are numerous studies that show that for boys, crime is on the rise if there is no father in their home. In fact, 85% of youth in our prisons today have absent fathers. In the absence of fathers, there's a dramatic increase in drug abuse and gang involvement for young men who have no father or whose father is absent from their lives. For young girls, teenage pregnancy and premarital sex increases by five times. They're five times more likely to be involved sexually before marriage or to experience a teenage pregnancy than their counterparts who have a father in their lives. Father absence is exacting a terrible price on our culture and especially on our children. I read a quote by Dale Earnhardt Jr., the NASCAR driver. He said, the key to all the success I've had in my life is my dad. It's that simple. He taught me how to drive, how to live with integrity, and how to be a man. Our fathers model manliness, integrity, work ethic, 
love for their moms, and the life of Christ if they are Christian men. Without the modeling of godly fathers, young men grow up without any of this godly example. Listen to this short poem by an unknown author entitled, To Any Boy's Father. Their little eyes upon you, and they're watching night and day. Their little eyes that quickly take in every word you say. Their little hands all eager to do everything you do. And a little boy who's dreaming of the day he'll be like you. You're the little fellow's hero. You're the wisest of the wise. And his little mind about you, no suspicions ever rise. He believes in you devoutly, holds that all you say and do, he will say and do in your way when he's grown up just like you. There's a wide-eyed little fellow who believes you're always right, and his ears are always open, and he watches day and night. You are setting an example every day in all you do for the little boy who's waiting to grow up to be like you. I submit to you that fathers are necessary to be role models for their little boys and their little girls. My second point is that fathers are necessary to serve as family shepherds. In Proverbs 27, verse 33, the Bible says that fathers should know well the condition of your flock and pay attention to your herd. More than that, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, this is a reference to the overseers and the elders. But understand clearly that fathers are the overseers of their family. They are the good shepherd in their family. In, in, in essence, they are the pastor of their own little flock. And this, and this passage tells the overseers and the elders that they should consider it a privilege and a joy, not a burden, to oversee the flock. So how does a father shepherd his family? He considers it a privilege and a joy voluntarily shepherding his little family, his little flock. It's not a burden to him. And more than that, he makes it a priority, serving his family with eagerness. He serves as a model, as an example, as the overseers and elders in a church serve as models and examples in their congregation. He meets the needs, as does a shepherd. The same shepherd portrayed in Psalms 23. You see, the Bible says the Lord is my shepherd. And God, as the good shepherd, provides for us everything that we need, leading us beside still waters, leading us to green pastures. A father is the good shepherd for his family, providing for them everything that they need and providing protection. Remember, fathers, the early crown doesn't endure forever. Your stewardship over your family is only for a few short years. And the opportunity to shepherd your flock is fleeting. The very next verse in 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us that if you do well, then you will receive the unfading crown of glory when the chief shepherd appears. Fathers, shepherd your flock with integrity with eagerness, considering a privilege and a, and a priority, being a good model to those under your care and providing for them well. And you will receive the unfading crown of glory when the chief shepherd appears. And more than that, I believe that number three, fathers are necessary to serve as the family 
priest, not just as a role model, not just as a shepherd, but also as the family priest. It's, it's your responsibility, fathers, to transfer God's truth to the next generation. Let me read a, a passage from the book of Psalms, chapter 5 through 7. Psalms 78, verses 5 through 7. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers. Okay, gentlemen, this is for you and me. Which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. That's the commandments. That the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born. That's the grandchildren. That they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Now, pay attention. There are several things in this verse. It's the responsibility of fathers to teach our children to do three things. Put their confidence in God, to not forget the works of God, and so that our children will keep His commandments. And not just our children, but our grandchildren as well. I submit to you that the church is always one generation away from extinction. Why? Because we are not born Christians. We are born again Christians. We're not born into this world spiritually connected to God. We become connected to the Heavenly Father because our parents and grandparents teach us spiritual principles of life. Our parents and grandparents instruct us in how to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Except for the shepherding of faithful, believing parents who transfer God's truth to their children and their grandchildren. The, and, and, and because of the influence of Holy Spirit, the church might just disappear. You see, in the nation of Israel, there were generational issues. If one generation did not pass on to the next the commandments of God, then there were generations that drifted away from God. And God would bring judgment, and then they would come back to God again. It's up to us as the fathers to make sure that we pass on God's truth to the next generation, so that they will put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, and that our children will keep his commandments, that they will know and trust in the God of their fathers. It's the responsibility of fathers as the family priest to teach our children how to trust, remember, and obey God. It is our responsibility to equip the next generation to teach the following generation, which is our precious grandchildren. If you remember, Joshua told the Israelites emphatically, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is that the determination of your heart? But pay attention. In Joshua chapter 2 and verse 10, the Bible says that all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and then there arose another generation after them that did not know the Lord nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Oh my goodness, an entire generation of Israelites that somehow did not know the Lord and did not know the work which he had done for Israel? How could that happen? 
You see, the fathers failed to pass on to the next generation God's truth. Fathers, may that never, ever be true of you and me. It's our responsibility to be the priest in our family and communicate to the next generation God's truth so they will know Him, put their confidence in Him, and trust in Him. So how how do we do that? That begs the question, how should we minister before our children? The best ministry is a way of life process that equips our children so that they see in us a love of God and a love of His Word. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, the Scripture talks about that way of life ministry. And it goes like this. For you are a holy people. No, I'm sorry. Back up, back up. I'm about to read the wrong Scripture. It says this. These words which, are, which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You see, what God is telling these fathers is that the word should be in their heart It should be on the walls of their house. They should talk about it when they rise up and when they sit down and when they walk in the way. In other words, he's describing a way of life portrayal of the truth of God. But it all starts with being in their heart. You see, gentlemen, if it's not in you, you simply cannot teach it. The word must be in your heart. If if it's not in you, it won't come out of you. You can't lead your children or spouse any further on a spiritual pilgrimage than you yourself have already been. You fathers are the limiting factor or the spiritual catalyst. If you haven't been to the foot of the throne, you can't take your family there. If you haven't seen the master's face, you can't describe him to your children. If you haven't heard his voice... How do you know to tell your children to go back to the altar in the middle of the night as Eli did to Samuel and say, Here I am, Lord, for your servant listens. Because you have already discerned that it is the voice of God that is calling out to your child. Family devotions is the very first thing. It is a lost art and it needs to be resurrected. Fathers, as the family priest, take your children to the foot of the cross with family devotions. Gather your little lambs together and read the word to them. Talk about it and what it means with your children. Memorize verses of scripture together. And then, as the family priest, lead them in prayer together. You are the priest. You're the pastor of your little flock. Fulfill your calling as a priest. Let me ask that question one more time. Are fathers really necessary? I would challenge you to ask the fatherless child. Ask the single mom. Ask the incarcerated teenage boy. Ask the pregnant and unwed teenage girl if fathers are really necessary. Fathers, 
You are the anchor. You are the family shepherd and the family priest. Pray for God's anointing and fulfilling that God-given role. You're listening to More Than Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Jackson, and may God bless you real good. Thank you for listening to my husband's podcast. This is Carlotta reminding you that we also have books that may be ordered from our website, Jackson Family Ministry, Barnes & Noble, and Amazon as well. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.